Because here's some things that you need to know that you may not know. At around 2 o'clock, your circadian rhythm gets it to a point to where you feel this sleepiness pour on. And this is, this is true. This is legitimate, okay? Like, most of the time, we think it's just because of our blood sugar, you know, uh, spiking and then, and then dropping. So we've got that going on, too, because of all those delicious carbs and sugary uh, desserts that we had. So you've got your circadian rhythm working against you, and you've got that insulin crash going on right now. So... I will not be offended if you doze on and off a little, okay? But in order to help combat that, I did save the talk about sex for this time, so maybe that will help keep us awake. What do you think? We shall see. So, talking about healthy biblical sexuality, God's view of sex, and why it matters. So, in the very beginning, uh, God made both male and female in His image, as we read Genesis 1:27, and then immediately proceeded to present this new husband and wife with the gift of sex. In verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it." I'm going to put it in 2020. English updated language for you. Go have sex and have lots of kids. That's what he said. So, from the very beginning, this is a gift. Okay? And I will say that in verse 31, and God saw that he had made what he had made, and behold, it was very good. So, when it was just Adam, you know, things were good, but they weren't very good yet. But then... After he provided man with a mate, with a helper, um, with a support, a mutual support, uh, that's when it was very good. And this gift of sex is a very good gift. So we know that it's for the purpose of procreation, okay? Uh, in verse 28, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So that is one purpose of, of uh, sex. Uh, but it is also to be enjoyed by husbands and wives. Um, and we know this from Scripture. We know it from, uh, from biology, uh, but we also know it from, uh, from Scripture. If you would, turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, and... We'll read verses 15 through 19 first, and then I'll read the next four verses after that. So, this is a gift that God gave for husbands and wives to enjoy to one another, but only for husbands and wives to enjoy together. Proverbs 5:15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So, it's spelled out pretty clearly that this is something that husbands and wives are to enjoy together. 
and only together. Because if you follow through in, ver- in the last four verses, he goes into uh, the problem and, and why. Again, this is, uh, this is Father Wisdom speaking to his son. He says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and, pr- and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So, he makes it very clear here that you are only supposed to enjoy this this sexual experience together with your spouse, husband and wife. Because to go outside of that uh, arrangement, outside of that covenant, uh, is, is forbidden. And, you know, I can tell you as a counselor that I, I know why it's forbidden. Because it's destructive. It's absolutely destructive to people's lives. And it is extremely difficult uh, for people to work through and to get over and it's damaging to families, uh, particularly if children are involved. And, um, you know, that's just um, uh, that's something that can't be emphasized enough. We see a lot of that in our culture. That kind of thing's popular in our culture. Uh, but we have to go back and look at what was written a long, long time ago uh, because, uh, as, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, so these are things that have been going on for a long, long time. Uh, but it's, it's damaging, it's hurtful. Uh, but it is something that is to be enjoyed for a husband and a wife together. And that's important. We also know uh, that God intended for sex to be pleasurable uh, and enjoyed between a husband and wife because of the Song of Solomon. Now... If you just read it straight through, even from uh, you know a, um, a, a very easy to read translation, you're going to get a little confused because this is written in um, in ancient Hebrew poetry. Okay, so some of the things it's talking about, it's going to be hard for you to understand here in in 2020. I can't understand it unless. I've got someone, some experts telling me, you know, translating it, telling me what this means in modern language, in modern day language, what are they talking about? And I will tell you, it's very racy. If it was not in our Bible, uh, I doubt we would approve it. Um, Because it talks about some very explicit stuff in there. But it's all from the context, and I believe that the reason that God placed this within Scripture is because... The sexual relationship is important, and we need to know the good aspects of it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, most of the time, what we get—I uh, know, I know—you know—the messages that I heard growing up, like uh, like most of you who are my age and and older and younger, pretty much all of us, we heard the message of uh, you know, well, don't have sex until you're married. And um, because, you know, if you have sex before you're married, well, then you could, uh, you know, you could, you could get pregnant uh, or, uh, you know, you could get any of these diseases. Uh, you know, it's just a bad idea, which is, which is all true. But if that's the only message you're getting, if you're not getting the messages about the good stuff, the healthy stuff, 
It's like, okay, wait till you marry. Well, it, it's, it's helpful to know why we should wait. It's helpful to know why God wants us to wait. You know, do we think God is, uh, you know, just uh, somebody up there who likes bossing us around and, you know, and he's, he's a killjoy, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want us to have any fun. You know, is that why he asks us to do the things that he asks us to do? It can feel like that without the, without the proper knowledge and without the proper understanding. It can feel like that. But when we understand that God is, is a loving, caring Father who tells us the things that He tells us, asks us to do the things He asks us to do, because He loves us, because He cares about us. Just like as those of us who are parents um, or uh, grandparents you know, know that the reason you set the boundaries, the reason you discipline children, is because you love them. I don't enjoy punishing my kids. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy... Uh, I try really hard not to enjoy limiting their fortnight time. I try really hard. But I do that because I love them. Because we need to know that there are consequences for our actions. God knows the consequences of these actions. And so when we know the fuller picture, uh, when we know uh, the good things about what God has to say, that this is a gift that he's given. Now, think about a gift for just a second, okay? I know this might creep you out a little bit, but I believe that God takes, uh, gets, gains enjoyment. It makes him happy when he sees a husband and wife enjoying the sexual relationship. Okay, if sex is a gift, think about it. When you give a gift to someone, you know, I don't know about you, but... I like, my favorite part is watching them open that gift and enjoy that gift, right? I believe that God loves when husbands and wives enjoy in the sexual relationship together. Marriage is a covenant. We need to understand uh, what that means and, and the, the ramifications of that. So, a covenant is a contract or an agreement between two or more parties. In this case, with marriage, that is a covenant between God, a man, and a woman entering into a covenant together. And they make promises and responsibilities that they are supposed to uphold within this agreement, within this covenant, and that's the marriage vows, the vows that, that a husband and wife makes to one another. Now, um, when that, when that covenant is established, uh, Mark 10, 9 says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's God's desire. His desire is for us to stick with one another, to stay together. Now, we're in a culture where people, in, in, in our culture, people are waiting longer and longer to get married. Um, and uh, the divorce rate is somewhere around 50%. It's stayed around there for a good long while now. The people are waiting longer to get married. More and more people are cohabiting together before getting married. But let me tell you what the research... This is secular research. What secular research has showed for years, it has showed that couples who live together 
before getting married have higher divorce rates. Those couples do not do as well. So, you know, what are, what are the problems that come from that? Well, I can, I can tell you this. What's the problem with living with someone and being with someone, engaging in sexual relationship with someone, and you're not married? You haven't made the ultimate commitment to one another. Well, it's, when you stop and think about it, it's really kind of common sense. Because, see, the guy in that relationship, he's thinking... You know, I'm getting what I want out of this, and but if somebody better comes along, well, then I'm going to move along. Now, the reason that the, the woman in that relationship is okay with that, because she might be thinking the same thing. Well, you know, you're fine for now, but uh, I'll wait until somebody better comes along. And if somebody better comes along, well, see you later. Uh, so it establishes, it lays this foundation for distrust uh, right off the bat. I think that's one major factor that plays into that. So this is a covenant uh, between God, man, and woman. And it's something that we're not to separate. Now, creating a covenant in the history of God's people in the Old Testament... When, when there would be a covenant established, uh, this involved two main parts. There was the verbal declaration. In other words, what was going to be agreed upon, what was going to be done. Uh, and then there was an oath sign. Best example of this is in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 uh, through uh, chapter 9, verse 17. And you might recognize that. Uh, this is uh, after um, Noah has gotten off of the ark and God has made a verbal declaration. God is entering into a covenant with Noah and thus with all of mankind. What was that covenant that he made? The covenant was he promised to never flood, never to destroy the earth with a flood again. Okay? That was the promise. What was the oath sign? That he, that he gave as a symbol that every time we see this symbol, it reminds us of that promise. The rainbow. Okay? We learned this at a very early age. So, that's the covenant, that's the verbal declaration, and that was the oath sign. So, at the end of the wedding ceremony, the couple is uh, pronounced husband and wife. Okay? They've made their verbal declarations to one another, and then uh, the officiant uh, makes the verbal declaration that they are now husband and wife in front of the witnesses of family and friends and, and witness to one another and to God. So there's the verbal declaration. After that, the couple has sex to consummate the marriage. Sex is the oath sign of this covenant. It is the sealing of the marriage covenant. And it serves, think of it as serving as a continual reminder. It's really beautiful when you think about it. The sexual relationship between a husband and wife, every time a husband and wife come together, they're saying, it's like they're saying, I do. It's like they're saying their vows to one another. It's like they're making a recommitment to one another over again. That's important for us to think about. And to keep in mind, this is, this, is a special, uh, this is a special activity that a husband and wife get to enjoy in together. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32... Uh, Paul, at the end of that, that passage that talks about instructions to husbands and wives, uh, he reveals a great mystery to them at the time. So, you know, whenever somebody says something like that in Scripture, I'm about to reveal a great mystery to you. It's like nobody's ever heard this before, okay, at that time. So, he's talking about husbands and wives, and then uh, he gets down to verse uh, 31, and he quotes... Uh, back from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sound familiar? Next verse, he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what does that mean? What does that mean that it refers to Christ and the church? The reference there is, is sex, he reveals at that point that the sexual relationship between a husband and wife, that deep level of, of intimacy, that, that physical intimacy, that spiritual intimacy, that emotional intimacy, was always to serve as a, a shadow of something greater to come. It was a shadow of a representative of the oneness, the deep level of intimacy that would exist between Christ and His church. In fact, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 9, um, uh, Jesus talks about this a little bit, talking about you are in me as I am in you. And then we read earlier uh, in the last lesson uh, um, uh, from John chapter 20, uh, verses 17 uh, and following, uh, when He was talking about this oneness. And... That's something that people could understand. Um, see, lots of things, there's a lot of things in Scripture. There's shadows of things to come, better things to come. Lots of things in the Old Testament that was foreshadowing uh, Jesus, foreshadowing uh, uh, something that better that was coming. Well, the sexual relationship between husband and wife is, is symbolic of that close relationship that Christ desires to have and that He does have with his church, with his bride. And it goes further than that. Now, we know that there's going to be no sex in marriage, no, uh, I mean, no, excuse me, no marriage, no sex in heaven. Right? Okay. Why is that? Well, we know uh, that in uh, Matthew chapter 22, so if you remember, uh, somebody, the, the Sadducees uh, are trying to trip Jesus up, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, they're always challenging Jesus, always trying to trip him up and, and get him confused so they can denounce him in front of the people, right? Well, in this case, they come to him and they present him with this, this case scenario. So they're like, okay, Jesus, we got a question for you. So there's a man, he married this woman, and then he died, and then she had to marry the brother. The brother had to marry her. Um, but then, see, he died. So then, you know, the next brother in line married her. And then after that, the next brother, because, you know, they just kept dying. Like, I don't, it's an odd story. I don't know what's, what's, what's going on with this lady, but um, all these guys are dying. It's like six or seven of them. I forget exactly how many. But um, they're basically, they're like, here's the point, Jesus. In the resurrection, in the afterlife, because they didn't even believe in a resurrection, they said, in the, in the, in the resurrection... Who will she be married to? Who will be her, her husband? 
So they think they got him, right? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 30? He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So why is that? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that marriage and uh, sex will not be in heaven uh, because it'll have already served its purpose. Because there's nothing, there's nothing on earth uh, that is more special and more intimate. Uh, nothing where a person uh, feels as close to another human being as it is in the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. Because it's, it's the bearing of, of each other's soul to one another, uh, spirit, and physically bearing yourselves uh, fully, unclothed to one another. Is very special, very intimate, and and to be, to be in that position and to not be judged, but to only be loved, to be accepted for all of your imperfections, the good, the bad, everything, and to be fully loved and fully known. Well, there's not going to be a need for that in heaven, for that marriage and that sexual relationship, because in heaven. I believe we're going to have that perfect uh, fellowship with everyone. We are going to feel intimately close with everyone. And there's going to be no judgment. I don't know about y'all, but I, I try to imagine what that will be like. But, you know, I have a hard time. The closest we can get is, is the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. That level of closeness with people and being completely accepted and loved um, no matter what. All right. I know we got some heads nodding out here. It's okay. Forgive you. I already told you about that. But you might want to perk up for this part because I'm about to share some secrets to a great sex life. Those of you who are married, any age, doesn't matter. You're going to want to know this. If you plan on getting married one day, you're going to want to know this. You guys ready? Everybody awake? Focus in your intimate relationship, in your romantic relationship, focus on your spiritual intimacy. Focus on your intimacy in general as we talked about earlier in the lesson earlier, and we talked about some components of that and what that looks like. It's extremely important. But here's another extremely important aspect that I think gets overlooked. is a couple's spiritual intimacy with one another. So, what do I mean by that? Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, some, you know, in our culture, we live in an individualistic culture. And so... Um, <laughs> We are all acutely attuned to uh, our individual walk with Christ. And, and I, as a Christian, am to be in pursuit of Christ and Christ-like behavior and attitude, etc., right? Okay. Well, in my marriage, God expects me and my wife to do that together. A husband and wife ought to pursue Christ Together, And so, what are some ways that you can focus on your spiritual intimacy and improve your spiritual intimacy? Talking, listening, sharing things together. 
you know, getting past the surface, not just surface level things. How was work? How are the kids? You know, those are great and important things to talk about. How are the grandkids? What's going on with them? That's good. But we've got to get deeper than that. We've got to talk about, like, you know, what are our dreams? You know, what are, what are our goals? What, what, are, what are we aiming for three years from now, five years from now? As a couple. That's something that's, that's good to be reevaluated on a regular basis because things change along the way. I can be aiming for something and then, you know, life, uh, God directs me in another direction and so, okay, what are my goals now? Or now that we're, we've achieved this goal, what are our goals now? Um, having fun together, you know, doing things together, hobbies together. It's really important. Praying together. More than just at the dinner table. Hey, when you sit down together with your, with your spouse, with your family uh, to eat a meal, say, say a prayer thanking God for the food. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, praying together at night. That's fantastic. Before you go to bed. Uh, praying together intimately. It's important. Listen, this is challenging stuff. I remember it uh, about six years ago. One of our first men's ministry... Uh, we didn't know he was going to do this, but uh, one of the one of the guys who was speaking, I think it was the second or very, second or third one we had, and we were talking about uh, you know uh, praying with our spouse, like that's what it was all about. And uh, we didn't know he was going to do this. He said, "Hey, all guys in here, raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it to you. Raise your hand if you pray with your wife every day, like intimately pray with your wife every day." Man, it was slim. There weren't many hands that went up. Now, about two years later, uh, somebody asked the same question because he, he really liked that question, and so uh, uh, he asked that question again. A few more hands went up that second time. You know, everybody's sitting on uh, like, man, what if somebody asked that question again? I want to be ready for that one. Um, but praying intimately together is so important. Studying the Bible together. Uh, get a devotional book. Uh, that you, uh, get a devotional uh, that you can go through together uh, as a couple, as a family. Um, these are things that, you know, it's very easy for us to just get in the habit of not doing or um, to, just, to just put off because we've got so many things going on. Uh, but listen, if you want to uh, deepen and enrich your relationship with your spouse and with your family, like... Have some good Bible studies together. Ask some good questions. Um, uh, worshiping and serving together. Okay? You know, we worship together, but not just at church. We'll have devotionals uh, together at home. And we'll worship together that way with our family. Um, and serving together. Find things to do to serve together. So... Obviously, uh, as, uh, as one of the leaders of our men's ministry, my wife doesn't serve with me uh, helping with the men's ministry. Uh, but there's other things that we do together. Uh, there's other ways that we serve, uh, reach out to people, help people. Um, I am telling you, and I have, had people, I have had people tell me, like, you are exactly right. I've experienced it in my own marriage and I tell couples this, there's a, there's a great book uh, called Sacred Marriage. And um, the whole premise of the book, if you haven't read Sacred Marriage, I encourage you to get that book. Um, it's a fantastic book. But the, the premise is, uh, he starts off by saying, what if marriage isn't about us being happy? You know, that's pretty big in our culture, right? What's going to make me happy? 
He said, what if marriage isn't about making us happy? What if it's about making us holy? What if it's about sharpening us spiritually? What if it's about spiritual growth and growing together? Because, listen, anybody in here who's been married for any amount of time knows that it's work. It's a lot of work. It's a challenge. It's difficult. And if it's not for you, then you haven't been married long enough. It's a lot of hard work to make a, to make a marriage work. Because, I mean, you're married to a human being and, you know, they get on your nerves sometimes. They do stuff you don't like. They have ideas you disagree with sometimes. They want to do things the way that you'd rather not do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's hard. And so anything that I can do to strengthen that relationship is a plus, is a win. Uh, I saw a, a, a study one time that couples that pray intimately together uh, have like a... I, I don't remember, it's been years ago since I saw the study, but basically it was like, you, 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 you decrease your chance of divorce down to like 1%. Couples that report intimately praying together. It was a focus on the family uh, study, I think, that had been done years ago. Couples that pray intimately together every day have a 1% divorce rate. Um, and if there's something that we can do together... Uh, that will decrease our chances of divorce that much, well, that's something I want to do. That's, that's pretty important. Now, I will say some other things that aren't on here. Um, this is extremely important. But there's all kinds of different issues. Uh, you know, people can struggle, have struggles in, in their sex life uh, for all kinds of different reasons. It can be because of uh, past problems uh, with sex, uh, maybe, uh, um, you know, uh, sexual abuse, molestation, rape. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can get in the way of a, of a person being able to have a healthy sex life. Uh, sometimes it's the case of, uh, not getting proper education growing up and then having intense clinical anxiety coupled with fear of, you know, the unknown and, and fear of, of sex. Um, I've, I've seen that. I've worked with those couples who have struggled with that. So there's a lot of things that can get in the way of this. Um, I can assure you what doesn't help is, um, you know, when, uh, when, when and it's, it's typically guys, you know, sorry to pick on guys, but it's typically guys, uh, you know, who will be like, well, you know, they'll start quoting 1 Corinthians 7, well, you know, your body's not your own. So, you know, if I want to have sex, then we should be able to have sex. You're my wife. Um, I've, actually had, I've actually had a married couple before in my office. I've actually had a guy say that before, like in the session. Um, I bit my tongue. I wanted to... I wanted to say a few things, but uh, I stayed very professional, and I addressed it properly. Um, it's like, man, like if that's if that's your mindset, like there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. There's a whole lot slew of things that you're missing there, buddy. Um, and and we got to go back, and we've got to address those things. Uh, you know, not to mention that okay, her body's not her own. Fair enough. Your body's not your own either. Um, 
So there are a lot of other things. I don't, I don't want you to think that, that I'm naive to, oh, well, just do this simple thing and it'll take care of everything. There's, there's a lot of other things, but this is, this is something that I have seen uh, couples that I've worked with, like, usually this stuff is absent. And when they start incorporating it, and when they start doing it, and then working through other issues that are, that are usually present, um, they get better. They get much better. In fact, I've, I've heard couples say, like, our, like this, is better than, than, uh, this is better than it's ever been. This is uh, our relationship, our marriage is, is better than it's ever been. Our sex life is better than it's ever been. Because when you put first things first and put, put the right things in the proper place, uh, then, then God will bless that. And, and you will enjoy that relationship. You know, we started off the day talking about pornography and the effects of pornography. That, that, is, that is Satan's version of sex. Okay? Sex is a good thing. Sex is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's holy. It's created by God, presented to husbands and wives to enjoy together. But Satan, like every good other, very good thing that God makes, Satan comes along and he takes it and he strips it of its goodness and he presents us with a cheap inversion. And that's what pornography and sexual sin will, will give you. It, it will give you a much cheapened, lesser, uh, unfulfilling version of, of what God intended for us to enjoy together with our spouses. Um, God's view of sex matters. And God's view of sex matters because it's better than what the world has to offer. It's better every time. I promise you that. We're going to offer an invitation and a song. Um, if, if there's anything that you might be dealing with or struggling with and you need prayers for uh, or you need help with, uh, but you know the Lord's invitation is always open. It's not just open at the end of, of lessons or sermons. Um, you know, there are men and women here who would be happy to talk with you uh, even after the service, even after, uh, you know, in, in, away from the public assembly. Uh, but if you have any kind of need at all, uh, we do encourage you to come as we stand and sing.